it's created this sort of like table stakes where everyone is starting to have to be misleading and using these kind of ridiculous ads that don't have much to do with the game just to try to keep up with the ones that are already doing that. Hi friends, welcome to the Metacast Roundtable by Navic, and I'm already being burned by our guests. <laughs> <laughs> Today we're joined by Anthony Pecorella, co-founder of Level Up Labs, David Amor, CEO of Playment. It's good to have you back. And Thanks, Tim Maria. Benville, CPO at Hutch. Welcome everyone. Hi. Hello. How this is how, this is oh. the first time I've been on with Tim and Anthony. Um Tim, I've worked with in the past, or at least we've cross, we've compared notes in the yeah. past when, uh, when I needed to pick your brains about, uh, mobile free to play analytics and that kind of thing, Tim, right? Yeah, exactly. Back so, in uh, the day. Nice to be here with you. Crossing over in, in Brighton, yeah. typically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That we, we share a city, right? Yeah. Uh, you should have a tag team called Brighton Boys. I'd buy a t-shirt. <laughs> That's an entirely different kind of team. <laughs> oh. oh, no. Okay. Well, how has well, I just said? Uh, how have your weeks been? Good weeks? Yeah, good. Uh, let me think. My point of view, as you know, Maria, I was knocked off my bike about a month ago, yeah. been slowly recuperating. I am now fit for podcasts. Happy to be back. Good. Anyone else has something exciting to share? Uh, hard to top. A bike accident. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm getting over COVID at the moment, but feeling oh no. feeling better. Last week was rough, but I'm I'm good now. So <laughs> I, I've just been going through that. Thanks I'm pretty much training. pretty much there yeah. now. This is the first week. I'm like, yeah, man, I'm 100 on it. We're doing the four day working week, and I'm like, yeah, that's happening. I'm doing it. I'm on top of things. And then today, a lot of things came at once, and I'm like, whoa, hang on, oh, this has got a bit crazy. But hey, that's how it goes. Very cool. Yeah, kind of waiting for someone to ask me back. Oh yeah, how was your week? <laughs> wow. So lost and forgotten. <laughs> uh, my week's been great. In D&D, I joined a cult, so that's pretty cool. If I play my cards right, I might get wings and a pretty cool radiant weapon. So couldn't ask for more, really. Wait a second. All right, let me just understand a little bit more about what you're doing. This is an in-real-life D&D game or an online one? Hybrid. Okay. It's all about hybrid working now. Is it? And, and what does it mean to get your wings? I get actual wings because it's a Valkyrie cult. So, you know, they have wings and they fly. It's pretty cool. Yeah. It's just, actually, sorry. Are they just like grafted onto your back or how, how do you? Well, I didn't get a chance to ask many details <laughs> because they're a bit dangerous and they were just asking, you know, either give us your blood and make a pact or you might die. Oh. So I chose to make a pact. I'm not, not sure this is safe. Okay, I've got concerns. <laughs> have, you, um, have you seen Legend of Vox Machina? No. It's, a, it's an Amazon Prime show that uh, Critical Role um, is doing, and it's all very D&D. Um, okay. And, uh, critics seem to love it. It's fun. It's uh, probably more gory than uh, Game of Thrones, so like, <laughs> it's cool. uh, heads up on that. But uh, it's it's cool to see like all the D&D classes and races and um, like kind of accurately represented in a in a show i have to watch it i actually found it quite interesting from a game design perspective because as part of this pact 
And this is a homebrew campaign that's going to go on for another year or so. If my character ever reaches zero hit points, um, I will lose power over my character. My character will become an NPC because um, she'll become just a follower of this cult and I have to generate a new character. And someone in the group said, well, D&D and games is all about giving players the option to make interesting decisions rather than the correct decisions. Oh. And I thought that's, yeah, that, I, that does actually translate into fun. Awesome. That sounds fun. Yeah. All right. Topics. What topics do you have today? We're going to be talking about web forums as a social hub for games, uh, misleading advertising. So that should be spicy. Um, Polygon is announcing, well, they have announced a ZK EVM. And if we have time, we'll talk briefly about the UK government's loot box self-regulation decision. All right, Tim, you're up. Yeah. All right. So, what? yeah, this uh, just tickled me. I saw the article about it. And I'm a bit old-fashioned, so I, I didn't go to develop, but it's talking about how web forums are an interesting way to support the community in your game. They kind of fallen out of favor. And then there were a bunch of people kind of singing their praises. Uh, I think that forums still have a place, but I also think we can do better. So just to elaborate on some of that, the really interesting part for me is the thing we did on Top Drives by accident, which is we launched the game and linked to our web forum directly from in the game. So, okay, great. Really making it upfront, getting loads of people in there. And then like a couple of months later, we switched to an in-game forum using a third party called KT Play. And, but what that meant is we stopped feeding people into the web forum and we got the whole golden cohort there, right? Like the players you get in the first week or month, they're really the players who are the best for the game. They love it the most. And then they, they sort of are isolated from other players coming in. And actually that became the best place for really detailed discussion between devs and players. Uh, by that self-selection, I was like, oh, this worked out quite well. That wasn't the plan, but it was brilliant. And the forum was actually, you know, really, really suitable for that kind of discussion. The threading, uh, the stickies, the longer posts, all of that kind of thing. We did eventually have to shut it down uh, because we couldn't justify the cost. But we migrated those players to a specific channel in Discord. And actually, this is how we're working on the other games as well. Right? You have your special, you can have a special channel for the most trusted expert players uh, for those more detailed conversations with devs uh, that are really, really valuable. So I could say, okay, we maybe didn't lose anything, actually. You could preserve that value in, in the new environment. Uh, the, the only other thing I was going to say is, like, what, what could be even better than what we have now? I know Discord is very clever with some of the you know bots and scripts you can do, but I do think I've seen some places handle this quite well. There's, there's a whole thing about the existing players discussing things with each other and the new players coming in. And there's a little bit of a, a balance to be had there. Like you're having these detailed discussions about the game and the new players are like, what's that? What does that? What does that mean? Hey, how do you do this? And it like, uh, <laughs> that's just messing it up. And so there are some places that, you know, have a nice pattern of, okay, so that goes on segregated over here. That's very sensible. Uh, I think that there's always a repetition thing where this question always comes up. Players don't look at FAQs. I do think this could be handled quite elegantly and that functionally, if you're writing something into the forum for the first time, that actually should serve as a kind of search that an intelligent uh, bot or something could say, oh, it, <laughs> hey, you know, the, there's been 17 posts about this and this one had a really good answer. Maybe you just should read that. I feel like there, there could be something like that. 
could get better. I've seen it in some ways and never been that impressed. And then finally, integrating it really tightly with the game. Uh, I saw a lovely thing in the, the game called Food Fantasy, which is a roster RPG where you collect characters that are based on food. Uh, it's a really cool thing where they have synergies that actually make sense for the for the food. So if you combine uh, tea and milk, they have super combo together, for example. Anyway, but they had a really lovely thing where there was a discussion thread for each of the campaign levels that you would get to directly from the game. And so, and you can see players going, oh, this guy's really annoying. Oh yeah, I solved it by bringing this character, you know, and, and it, so contextually it was, it was beautiful. And I feel like that could be done in many other ways. So anyway, that's, that's me. What do you guys think? Forums, dead forever. Well, first or, of all, I, I think this was sparked by the fact that Gearbox had turned off their forums, right? And decided that instead they were going to point people to a, a Discord or their Discord instead. I mean, I think the short version is, I think it's bullshit. I mean, what the Discord is a completely different things from forums. Like it's uh, transient, it's noisy, it's really uh, just suitable for a certain kind of player that really pays attention to, gives it, it everything. It's com- you can't spider it on the internet. Um, so it just sort of disappears. There's nothing to link to. So, you know, maybe, maybe I shouldn't say it's that, but it's certainly, so they're not the same thing. So I don't think it's in, in any way a good idea to say, hey, we're going to close our forums, but we have the Discord. Well, they're two separate things. You should, you should have both in some shape or form. And for them, or indeed anybody, to just rely on something transient like a chat client seems like a bad idea to me. There we go. There's my spicy take. <laughs> there, there is a scaling um, problem, right, for sure. I can, like, if you're going, there's a certain size... And you handle the, your, that socially in a certain way. Even a forum will, will break down if it's just just way too right. many people talking. It's not going to work. And Discord as well. So you have to manage that. Sure. Um, yeah. I, uh, so I was at um, Congregate.com for about a decade, and um, so we were a uh, web browser games portal, and um, originally Flash games, but then as other texts came out, uh, and one of the noteworthy things about uh, congregate compared to all the other platforms that we had a live chat running right next to the flash games. Um, and there were public chat rooms you could join, but we also had game specific chat rooms. So you could join a chat room just for that game, but we also had full forms. So we had both of those things going. And um, as, as David was saying, like they are very different functions. Um, chat rooms were great. They were really good at, um, like onboarding new players. There were always some helpful people to sort of answer some initial questions and give some advice. Um, and it was that sort of real social connection. The forums on the other hand were, you know, as you guys have been saying, like they were searchable. You could put persistent facts, you could put, um, you know, people would ask a question and it would get answered and then other people could find that answer and could ask for clarifications. And, um, and so that ended up being a much more of a good like reference and long-term, um, record of things. And, uh, you know, we absolutely kept both of those going for the whole time I was there. Um, and they each have their own challenges. Uh, we had, I think 600 volunteer moderators to keep chat somewhat sane. And, uh, I had a whole bunch of other ones that are focused on forums. And, uh, so it is a lot of effort to do it well and do it right. Um, but, you know, we consistently found that there were players who, were in chat all the time and wouldn't touch the forums. And there were people who were in the forums all the time and would never speak in chat. And everyone had their own place they like to be, their own purposes. Um, I think 
you know, we, I mean, we didn't have any searching in chat, so it was even more transient than something like discord. Um, but discord still is not going to have nearly the search capabilities of Google at this point. Um, and, uh, you know, as that can continue to develop maybe, but I, right now it's, it's a chat client. Like it's, it's, um, it's just a different purpose. And I, I don't understand why I certainly don't understand why you would get rid of your forums. Like even if you wanted to go read it only, at least let them search for yeah. something. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know that like our, you know, teens now not even searching, like, is that just a go to the web and, and search for something you're looking for? Is that not a, a behavior now? Like I, I honestly don't know if that's just not how people interact at this point. Just go on the discord and yeah. ask. <laughs> and that just seems like such a pain for everyone who's in the discord, like constantly asking, answering questions. I think it depends on the persona. I think there's communication personas, just like player personas. And even in the game, when we closed the forums and had everyone go to Discord, there was some negative feedback about the style of communication being very different. So, for example, if you're in a forum, you write a full post and then you post. It's not like on Discord where you write a few words and then you send and then you write another few words and you send. And then because you're doing that, conversations just start intermixing between one another and you lose track. So... I can understand the point of consolidation of community because if you don't want to scale your your community team, you can't have them spread across platforms. So maybe it's finding that middle term, depending on your audience. Yeah, and just understanding the audience of your of your game and making the right choices. We don't we don't spend as much time, for example, on Twitter that we do on Discord. So. I have no no good answer. I understand why game companies are consolidating, and at the same time, I understand that there are different communication styles. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think uh, as Tim says, a large part of the game is the social. It depends on the game, but a large part of the game is the social interaction outside the game. There's games that I've played where I spent more time talking about the games in forums than I have in playing the game. And it's still part of the game. You know, I wouldn't be there talking about it, being excited about it if the game didn't exist. And so maybe it depends on the kind of game you're making, but to cut that part away seems um, seems like a bad idea to me. Not sure where you do it. I think there's just a place for different types of communities that can coexist. So when I search things for new games I'm playing, it always leads me to, to Reddit. So could Reddit not just be the new forum? Yeah, Reddit is pretty good. I, it's it's different again, obviously. It has its own pros and cons, but you've got, yeah, you've got that threading, you've got searching, uh, the whole upvoting thing. It does some really great stuff as a system for producing good results. Uh, and it is, or generally, that is, yeah, my go-to thing. Any games I'm interested in, I'll just subscribe to the Reddit and then, and then it's just all there. It's all there. It's really handy in that way. I do appreciate it. I, I would say a downside of Reddit, I, I love Reddit, but a downside is that the community is start, is owned by the person that started it. And if that person mm. is the right person to do that, then that's great and is motivated to continue doing it and maybe has some support along the way and does it a good job of it, then great. You've got a healthy community. But that is a sort of point of weakness that it probably depends on the person, the moderators of that subreddit being the right sort of people to grow it. Uh, which isn't guaranteed. So maybe I, I think I've got a friend who's building something in this space. His uh, thesis for his company is that, that that people that are contributing to the content, be it moderators or people creating the content, should see some value from that, should see some benefit from it. 
and it's sort of a web what I would describe as a web web three idea, where if you're creating value for the game, if, even if it's not inside the game itself, then shouldn't you see some sort of benefit from that other than some sort of kudos ranking? And I think that's yeah. you know when Tim you talk about where could you how could this be evolved? And to me, that's an interesting direction you could take. And even if it's not Web3, at least recognizing the value that content creators and moderators add, uh, even if it's not through tokens, in some other way than just a star ranking next to them or something. Yeah. I mean, this yeah, is. I think Splinterlands. Oh, sorry, Tim. Oh, go, go ahead. One moment. Uh, Splinterlands, I believe, has a rewarded community. Is it based on Hive? I'm not sure the technology is. That they sounds use. right, yeah. But I remember reading something where people were saying that actually the content quality was worse because people were posting just to post right. in order to get that reward. That gets to what I was going to say. So I actually tried something like this in, I think, 2008. Uh, very niche. There was a website, I haven't checked if it's still alive, called Anime Papers. They had a whole complicated ecosystem where you could earn currency by contributing to the forums or uploading scans, high-res scans of anime stuff or manga or whatever you've got. And then people would Photoshop that and make cool wallpapers out of it. And it was trying to create this whole economy to create value and share value. But the forum had exactly that problem, that everybody was just writing stuff to get points. And then they made a rule that you can't repeat stuff we've already spoken about because that's just spam. And the net result was surreal. It was so people going, uh... (laughs) Tennis. We we haven't talked about tennis yet, right? Yeah, who's got some opinions about tennis? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, you've got to design that quite carefully. Yeah, yeah. I, but I, um, I would say that you could design that quite carefully. <laughs> I don't think that's a yeah. busted flush. There's there's more to be said about that. Sorry, Anthony. Definitely. No, that's okay. Um, there's there's a little bit of a um, uh, kind of a, a bitter, um, I know, skeptic side of things, or um, where like. It used to be for the intrinsic value of it. Like, you know, people would contribute to a community because they enjoyed it. Like the the moderators wanted the community to be a better place. They um, they do like to feel special. Like we gave them their own access to a forum and we'd talk to them a lot. And like once a year, we'd send them like a little present or something. But, you know, they were doing it because they loved the community and they wanted to be involved in it. And the content creators were doing it because, you know, they wanted to put stuff out there and they wanted people to play their games. And um, you... I, I do you know, believe in people being rewarded for their work, but there's also a, you know, a question of um, you know, once you start uh, you know, paying people for something, uh, the motivations start to change. Um, and I think we see that even in like work situations where like people, you paying people um, you know, extra bonuses or something isn't necessarily going to lead to better work results or better work satisfaction. Um, and so like it's it's that same sort of, uh, you know, how do we reward behavior and how intrinsic versus extrinsic? And uh, it's, a, it's its own separate topic and maybe some other time. But um, yeah, it's it's, a, I don't know, it's, a, it's an interesting motivation question, I guess. And just before we go to the next topic, um, David, is Playment having forums? It's, um, no, we have a Discord, despite the fact I just trashed Discord. We do have a Discord. <laughs> it's just not my happy place. <laughs> uh, so I don't know. I'd be happy to see those forums return. <laughs> you caught me out there, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's on the roadmap. Here's a fact. That was something that when you were talking, Maria, reminded me of a headline I've seen this week that I'm going to get it slightly wrong, aren't I? But um, 
40% of teens use TikTok instead of Google to search for things now. So they, you know, if you want to find out about, I don't know, whatever topic you want, Pride, Pride Weekend, then you wouldn't go to Google yeah. and type Pride Weekend. You're going to uh, TikTok. And that wouldn't even occur to me to do that. I, I love TikTok, but it's, it's still that isn't where I go for search for things. And I suppose it's just a reminder to me that this is an evolving space, isn't it? And, and what works for me isn't necessarily what works for other people. And there's different ways of approaching the same problem. Yeah, I think TikTok now is a is a popular app to get news from. Sure, it it is the idea of searching for using that to search for something that you're interested in. Like, uh, would you go there for? You know, some people will be going there searching for top drives tips, probably, but uh, it's probably not the way that you think about. Uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe I should start recording some TikTok videos on top Tim, drives. I just saw Tim <laughs> recoil visibly at that idea. <laughs> I think I could come up with some cool jingles and dances, like doing a little break. <laughs> well, you have to go um, where the people okay, are. Don't watch the <laughs> right. Like there you go. There yeah, is a thing exactly. to that. So yeah, it's worth tracking. And, and you know, and sorry, I know you. We're about to move on. I made the mistake a long time ago where I made a game and made a forums for that game, and we're really, really frustrated that people went elsewhere to talk about my game. And was trying to pull them. No, no, can't we got, we made a place for you to talk about it. But of course, that's just completely wrong headed. And if there's a community going on anyway, you should be thrilled. And, and just if the party's going on over there, then go over there. Probably that's uh, mm. nothing to complain about, is it? It might be an interesting topic for a future episodes to talk about whether releasing a guild or clan type feature in your game must have a chat or not. Mm-hmm. That's, that's something I've. Oh, I've never found a good answer. For right, right, right. All right. Anthony, misleading ads. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so I think we've all seen um, the ads that uh, you know, have nothing to do with the mobile games. I mean, this is pretty much just on mobile, like, like um, this. which is like this. kind of its own Pull thing. Pull this pen out. Right. Yes, that that's one. the ones. <laughs> <laughs> um, I remember even seeing the game release that was advertising itself as the game that you've been seeing advertised. Um, but uh, yeah, I think, and I mean, I think Playrick's Gardenscapes was one of the first ones to really do it. And, um, and it's, it struck me, I think, because, you know, as a player, it's frustrating to me um, as a, you know, someone in the mobile space who is trying to do user acquisition to acquire users. It's very frustrating um, because the fact is they, they work. Right. Like they are, when you, you show something what they want to see rather than what you have, they will are more likely to come and get that. And, you know, there are reasons that like the FTC has, um, the US Federal Trade Commission has um, you know, laws against misleading advertising. Um, and, uh, but I've seen, you know, people actually cite Playrics as being innovative and, you know, really kind of just, you know, like changing the space in, like almost a, a good way because it brought down costs to install. And, but, uh, you know, for me, I think it's doing a, a huge disservice to players and they're probably getting away with it because you're not paying for it, right? Like you download a game for free and we're used to downloading games that aren't good and you delete it. And if you like it, then you keep it. And people aren't, you know, if you were paying, you know, a couple of euros to download this thing and people, and it was totally different than what you expected, people would be really upset. Um, but, it's created this sort of like table stakes where everyone is starting to have to be misleading and using these kind of ridiculous ads that don't have much to do with the game just to try to keep up with 
the ones that are already doing that. Um, and so it's, it's created this culture where I've talked with advertisers who are like trying, and I've even found myself doing it where you're trying to justify, like, you know, we've, we've got to do this even to be able to participate. We've got to, like, we try to stay as close as we can to the game, but we still sort of take some liberties because, you know, it's just, what are you going to do? Um, and so I'm curious, you know, as to the you know, sort of like the ethical side of it, the legal side of it, I don't know, you know, why no one's really stepped in on this. Um, I did, uh, I'm. Oh, okay. And I, that was one more. Um, I, I talked to a lawyer friend of mine who also asked the question, you know, how is it different from a cinematic trailer for a game hmm. that looks nothing like the game? So yeah. anyway, go ahead, Maria. I can see Tim almost jumping out of his chair. <laughs> Tim, come on. What do you but, think? Yeah, it's interesting because I've gone on a bit of a journey on this. Like I started out the same as you. Like this is unfair and ridiculous. Like we made a legit good game. We present an ad showing you what the game is like. These guys made some other game, present something else. And they're stealing users based on the thing they didn't even make. And here we are trying to be honest, promote our thing. And it's outrageous. But no, I have I have softened on it. Like for, for one thing, I think that as the as the platform as the system has matured, I don't maybe I'm I I don't feel it has become the dominant thing that everybody's doing and you have to do it to get in. I don't I don't think it has. I people wise up to it, right? Like <clears throat> I don't know how much of this was just Facebook changing their policy, but the, the like clickbaity titles, you know, like 37 most dramatic seagull instance in Brian number seven will shock you. Like <laughs> you don't, you don't see that anymore. There was a thing where it was wildly effective and everybody was like, wow, what is number seven? I want to know. And then everybody was like, wait, number seven was nothing. Why did I click on that? And then it, you know, it, the feedback loop kicks in. You can't fool all humans forever. So I think it, it doesn't create the massive systematic effect I was worried about. And you, you, you don't see clickbait advertising anymore. No, I do. I do. But you, you recognize it. It's that one again. It's that one again. And then sometimes there's one you go, oh, that's a bit weird. Is that a thing or not? You know, you, you question it. So, yeah, it's out there. But I don't feel like it has become table stakes. Uh, well, we're not doing them and we're doing OK. <laughs> there's an example, I guess. But the other thing I was going to say is that there's also two ways that I think are kind of legitimate. Uh, going all the way back to Game of War, oh, I think really first were the big guys doing this. They, they had like every kind of ad you could imagine. <laughs> it was like, here's a first-person shooter. It's Game of War. Here's a catapult attack game. It's Game of War. Here's a tower defense game. Uh, but the dominant one that ended up winning, I think, was tower defense. And I could see how, in a way, the game is too complicated. You can't convey what this game is in 30 seconds. You just can't. But you could convey the simple thing and say, do you like this? If you like this, you, you'll like that. It's a bit different, but you know it's it's in the right direction. So I could sort of see that. I guess the cinematic trailer for you know console games is similar. It's like this is the gist. It's not the actual thing, but if you like this, you'll probably like it. So I can kind of see that. And then the other one where we get into it is research purposes, right? Where you go, maybe this feature would be good in the game. Well, it'll take us three months to implement it, but we could make a video of it in a week. And we could just put it out there a bit and see if people click on it. Now, that is annoying for consumers, but maybe it's better for them in the long run or even for a completely new game. Like imagine an ecosystem, there's, there's some people making games and in one version of it, they make 100 ads for different games. They put them out and they work out which ones people like. And in another universe, they make those games one at a time and try them. In that other universe, they're going to go out of business and not make games people like. And in mm -hmm. the other one, they're going to find good games and people are going to be happy longer term. That's extreme. 
but you you get the point. And the final part that really hinges on it for me is that what should happen here, and I really worry, especially because of those two points I mentioned about legislation, saying this is, you can't do that. Because how do you even draw that line? Like you, nobody can represent perfectly a game in 30 seconds anyway. You can do errors of omission. So I do think it's just in the systems that they, the platforms control that you have to do it, right? Like you go from the ad to the store. Okay, you see the screenshots. Well, we can control that now. We, the, the, the stores can say, your screenshots are nothing like the game. This is not allowed. And so in a way, that safety barrier, maybe it could be improved, but I feel like that is that is where it should sit. And they have done that, yeah. right? On that, I'm, yeah. I mean, I don't know how much it's policed, but uh, that became a thing, didn't it? Sorry, Mary. I don't know if it was the UK, if it's only in the UK, but at least the PlayRisk games here in the UK, they had to integrate their mini games shown, shown in the ads into the game itself due to rules. Yeah. Well, um, you're asking, like, think, who's knowing anything about it in terms of legislation? It was, yeah, that's the only one I've heard of the UK going, no, yeah. advertising standards, you're not allowed no, to do that, I think that was a I, platform thing. I think that was Apple and Google, wasn't it? They insisted that, that the screenshots and the way it's presented was, at least the screenshots, well, I think I think both both right, happened. Right, right, right. Okay. Yeah, mm. um, I'm I'm going to be super cynical here. I think misleading advertising just happens in other products. You know, I still go to the yogurt section at the shop, and they're like zero percent fat, but then you look at the ingredients, and it's all sugar. So it's actually not good for you to buy the zero percent fat. Um, and I think it's, it's a bit like this here. I don't think there's a way legislating it feels a bit too heavy-handed to resolve a problem is it a severe problem for players again because they can see in the store it's free to play in this case so they didn't lose any money in that return i think something that i'm finding really interesting though is game developers thinking about ways to create almost tiktok like moments or advertising moments within their game so for example we look at royal match and they have the king levels, and then they use those king levels to create really interesting ads. Or I don't fully agree with this one, but Kingdom Maker has a make babies animation sequence where you see two people going in behind the, this bed, and you see the bed shaking and feet and arms. Um, and that it, <laughs> that's the video I've just been I, I, I see being shared widely. Um, yeah. And I think this 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 started also, for example, with other entertainment forms. I remember Childish Gambino made a song called "This This Is America," and the whole video was shot in a way to maximize how many GIF opportunities could then be created on social mm. media. And yeah, I think that's something that game developers can start putting within their designs: those key moments that, even though it's not the core gameplay they will still lend themselves really well to creating um, ads for UA. Yeah, I suppose I've got to add to that. It's, it's interesting to me that the game that people click on is a game that they, I mean, there's a reason why they don't show the game footage because that's not engaging enough for them, like to play Gardenscapes or whatever it is, if they just show footage. Obviously, they've done A-B tests to suggest that a better ad to show is the one that doesn't represent gameplay. But equally, they don't. The one that would represent gameplay, if you actually implemented the version of the ad, then that isn't as successful as Gardenscapes. So it's it's interesting that you need to use something that doesn't represent the game. But when you get to the game, you don't. 
the fact that it's different is good and keeps people there for longer. And in a way, if you didn't, oh, you know, maybe this is a stretch, Anthony, I'll give you this, but, you know, maybe if, um, maybe if you didn't have ads that could draw people cost effectively to a different kind of game, then the type of games you get have would be narrower and less varied because it turns out that to get people playing, you need to offer them something. I guess this is your point, Tim, that they can understand in five seconds, whereas actually the game that they'd prefer to play for a longer period of time can't be conveyed in that period of time. Therefore, you need to find another method to get people to it. And that's just a, if you want a breadth of game, then, and I'm not sure you would say Playrix are the champions of breadth of game (laughs) styles, but nonetheless, to get people to a different kind of game, you need to present a different, um, the, the ad doesn't represent the gameplay necessarily. Um, I think for me, it crosses the line when it starts being, for example, sexist or misogynist or just you're, you're appealing to a certain, I don't know, player target, I suppose. For, I think it was Playrix who used, um, it was a mother and a baby in a cold room and they were shivering and they couldn't take care of each other. And then you have to rebuild the room. I always got really bothered with those ads. And this isn't even the worst, like some games out there, it's, yeah. um, you know, a woman walking through a zombie apocalypse and then she's like, oh, I can't live. And then she finds this person on the floor. She's like, oh, can you save me? Um, so I, I, I'm clearly very triggered okay, by I this. I want to hear Anthony's, um, it feels like Anthony needs a right to reply here. So what do you, what do you think of these comments, <laughs> Anthony? Uh, let's see. So, um, you know, I, I will... I will grant you that it is it is hard to represent um, a complex game in 30 seconds or in some cases even five seconds before the, the skip button pops up. Um, and I think there are ways, I mean, like Gardenscapes, you could show like the choice between the things that you want to put in your house and then like a quick match thing. And, and like, it's not the whole game, but it's at least adjacent to the game. Um, and so I think, yes, and, and, and I've worked with some of the advertising where, you know, we tried to represent the kind of the ideas of the game. Um, but it was at least like relevant to it. And so when you would get to the game, it was like, Oh, okay, this is still based on you know the sort of sci-fi presence or, or whatever. Um, but when it's something that's completely different, then, you know, what you're doing is just like, I mean, it, it, to me, that's getting back to, to clickbait. Um, the, uh, I mean, you had the, what was it, um, Caesary that had the Play Now, My Lord. This was like a decade ago of the like sexy women in just a little um, med rec on, the, uh, on a website. And people just click on it, having no idea what the game was. But it would convert because people click on it. Uh, and so it's sort of like, I, I guess it's sort of a, you know, do the ends justify the means kind of question. Like there's, there's a little bit of an, of an ethics question for me um, that... I mean, it's a little bit different in terms of the like the sexist ones, which I think are also awful, but for a, a slightly different reason in some cases. Um, that uh, at least the I mean, I think the main game industry. This is a whole different thing. Has, has grown up like ga- uh, console games, and um, I've grown up a bit in terms of um, uh, like representation of women and everything. But mobile is definitely a bit more of a, a wild rest right now. With some in some cases, um, but uh, uh, yeah, I, I think you know it's just when you're having to do something that is completely silent, I mean, you can be advertising a, a new knife and then someone goes and downloads the game. Like, is that okay? Like, can you just, I mean, where is, is there a line or is it literally like you can do anything as long as you get the click? 
and then it's okay. Um, I think that's, yeah. Yeah. Like I can see that there's two systems part that worry me. Like one is what, what if you like, you're poisoning the well and you're just like consumers go, well, this is ridiculous. All the ads are irrelevant. I will now ignore all ads Mm -hmm. because I can't believe anything I see that that'll be bad. That'll be bad for everyone. Uh, And then the other one is backing up what um, Marie was saying. I, there's a weird, uh, sort of synchronicity i think it's because the systems that play are similar have you seen the horror that is kids youtube there's some articles about this like some system or some people converges to produce the absolute maddest and most horrendous content and it's optimized over time just like these creatives have to find what gets the views what gets the clicks and it is it's this similar stuff it's like frequently it's pregnant elsa from frozen being menaced by the Whoa. Joker, <laughs> like it's uncanny. It's really similar where it ends up, and I'm like, is this the horror that if you create a system that optimizes its way into the human id, this is what you end up with? Like it's quite terrifying, and I could say, yeah, I don't want a system that promotes that as the way everything so, goes. So then, what's the um, what would you do, Anthony, to rein it in if that's broadly what you? like to do would you legislate or would you hope that the game some sort of code of conduct for advertising in the mobile games industry that feels like a push not sure i'm <laughs> not sure that <laughs> people would adhere to it <laughs> um yeah I, I think we'll talk about self-regulation and, and uh, legislation yeah. a little later today too um so i mean there there is legislation at least in the u.s about false advertising like you can't say something does something and then it, it doesn't um, so, you know, whether or not that should extend in this case, I'm not sure, but you know, there, there is some protection, um, uh, against that. And, and clearly in the UK too, since they made, uh, Gardenscapes put in those little sliding puzzles, um, just to sort of technically it's, it's in there. Um, you know, I, I would, I would hope that consumers would wise up to it, Tim, but I, I think we're seeing that they aren't like the, this is still, I don't know. Most of the ads I see nowadays, I think, are still in that. Like, we still see some that are doing well at advertising their own games, and those are great. And I, that's fantastic. Um, but uh, you know, having talked to advertising experts, they're often coming in and recommending misleading advertising as like the the ideal way to do it. Uh, so, yeah, I, I'd love to see some some self policing because I, I don't think the audience is doing it. I think it's it's like the kids YouTube where just you optimize for it, and that's what clicks, and you know that's. Yeah, that's what the data says. So we're going to do it. Um, and, uh, it, it just keeps working. So, uh, yeah, it's, I mean, some of it is, is just a, like, Oh, it's not fair because I want to be more like mm-hmm. honest about my, yeah, my yeah. own games. Um, and so maybe that's <laughs> just me whining because I don't want to, uh, compromise on that, but, um, yeah, I'm not sure what the right solution is, but it, to me, it's, there's, there's one more line I'd like, to draw to protect it as well, which is in terms of the ability to control the ads that appear in your yeah. own game. Uh, this is a problem we have. We say, oh, we're not allowing these kind of ads. And these guys, they find some shenanigans, they get around it, and they show some 18-plus mm-hmm. ad in a game that's not supposed to have it. And like, what? Yeah. Come on. Don't do that. Right? Like, okay, I, I appreciate advertising gets complicated. There's a whole complicated system between the person showing the ad and which one gets shown, and there's all these intermediaries. Like, so I don't know where this happens. It, um, it tries to happen. It doesn't seem to succeed. I would like to see For that sure. strengthened. Um, well, we'll continue a bit on the self-regulation and the unfairness of whether you choose to walk the ethical line or not in the in the last topic. So before we get there, David, 
Polygon and ZKBBMs. Yeah, now, I don't know if this is too nerdy. To me, it's quite interesting, but we'll see how we get on. And also, I've written myself some notes so that I can try and explain it in a way that I think is digestible. So apologies if I'm dumbing down, but but equally, maybe it's useful to set the scene. So first of all, layer one blockchains like Bitcoin or Ethereum or Cardano or um, Solana are a layer one blockchain. They're sort of big and slow and not really great to use with games. And so both for people making games and people playing games, the block, the layer one blockchains that exist aren't particularly fit for purpose. So they're interesting, but not great. And there's been a number of solutions, and I'll come on to it in a second, but none of them worked particularly well. Polygon, who I think are probably the most famous gaming um, uh, blockchain, have in, or are talking about a new blockchain for ZK EVM that really hopes will fix some of the problems, both in terms of the developers and in terms of uh, the players to make something that's easier and faster to use. And I think probably it's worth doing a little bit of, on taxonomy. I'd covered a bit of it there, but, uh, you know, a layer one blockchain, I, I think of as like a completely separate country. Like if you've got something, you can't really keep things on blockchain, but blockchain doesn't talk with Ethereum. They're completely separate. They can't join up in any way, or at least it's very, very hard for them to do. So completely separate and very slow. One of the reasons is, and but very secure. One of the reasons is Bitcoin like will have 50,000 nodes. So to try and corrupt it, you'd have to you know, be an enormous effort. Ethereum has 5,000 nodes. So again, has lots of computers all verifying those transactions. Great for keeping it secure, but makes it slow and expensive to use. So the solution to, to date has been side chains pretty much. Um, and the idea there is they're faster and cheaper, but the way they do that is they have less nodes, uh, but, it, but that also makes them less secure. So famously Ronin, which is a side chain, uh, had five nodes, and then three of them got taken over and $600 million was extracted from it. So, And Polygon Proof of Stake, which is their blockchain to date, um, is also a side chain. And, I suppose, and, and really, they're just like mini blockchains. But if the same amount of people use Polygon Proof of Stake as use Ethereum, then it would suffer the same problems of Ethereum. So it's not – it's like a Band-Aid solution. And I, I think anybody using it knows – any of these chains knows that it's a Band-Aid solution. And and you can and it's easier to get your assets from one of these side chains to Ethereum where you could sell them on something like OpenSea, but but nonetheless the side chain isn't. I think everybody, including Polygon, would agree that's not the right long term solution. So I think this what's been announced this week, and they're not the only ones doing this, is uh, a blockchains with, uh, based on a technology called zk rollups, and what they do is uh, you you run blockchain code on these what's called a layer two. And the difference is that all the time they're bundling up those transactions and sending them to the main blockchain. So in the case, in this case, they're sending it to Ethereum. And if you think that you're zipping up all those transactions every, I don't know, minute or whatever it is, putting it to Ethereum, then it's cost effective because you're zipping things up and you're only paying for one transaction. But um, but it has that security of Ethereum. So it's sort of getting the best of both worlds. And so I think that the reason why, so I guess other people doing this is uh, StarkNet is probably furthest ahead, but that uses a different programming language. I think the thing that people are excited about with this Polygon ZK EVM is here's another type of ZK uh, roll-up 
technology, a layer two, but this time you can write it in the same programming language as you can Ethereum, which is called Solidity. So uh, I, first of all, I sort of stopped there and does that make sense? Am I missing anything out? So, so far it uh, does, does for me. Um, uh, I, sure. ha I have one question so far. So it's the StarkNet ZK technology. I think they're in partnership with Immutable X. Yeah, well, Immutable X uses uh, StarkX. Okay, so but you don't have to have an agreement with Immutable X to access the technology. StarkNet is still sort of open source, similar to Polygon. Yes, um, they are. Um, they're, they're both zk rollups, and um, uh, Immutable X it uses that technology. But if you're a game maker, then it only does the, a set of things. It only it's not programmable. So you can't actually run code on it. You can only ask Immutable to do the dozen or so things that it does, which I'm sure it does very well. But if you're trying to write uh, blockchain code, then Immutable doesn't allow you to do that. At least last time I spoke to oh, them. Oh, so, so a bit like a game choosing to use Unreal or Unity as a game en engine instead of using their own game engine. Uh, correct. But you can only do a, the set of, it's not programmable. So you can only use Immutable or, or Forte or, you know, whatever other systems to, to use that set of things that they do, like mint something or bridge something. Or if you want to try and do something new, yeah. then you don't get to do that. So uh, that's okay. the difference between those, I suppose. Uh, yeah, it's sort of, I guess, maybe kind of like using Mario Maker versus writing in C++. Like Mario Maker lets you do a set of things, and I mean, a lot more than what uh, Immutable does, but, uh, you know, you can only do the things that are there, and you can put them together in however way you want, but if you want to write any sort of custom code, a smart contract or something, that's not possible on, on um, uh, Stark. Yeah, that's, I, that's right. I understand it. And, uh, and so, go, go ahead, So I use... So why is using Solidity important? Well, Solidity is a programming language that let, that's the language of smart uh, contracts. So you can actually run code on Ethereum that you can invent yourself. And, um, and that's a little bit like JavaScript, and, uh, and, but allows you to uh, run code on chain. And, uh, and I, I suppose the exciting new thing is that this is technology that actually looks like it might be fit for purpose to allow people to run run their own code on a blockchain rather than just relying on these services that just do a set of things. Um, I would say the mm. StarkNet is further ahead as a technology, and, and indeed they invented a lot of the ideas that are being used in this ZK roll-up technology. But you had to learn a different programming language. They would argue that it gets a better result, and it might, but, but I... But I suppose the difference here is uh, that Polygon, who have a lot of uh, momentum already behind their blockchain efforts, are saying, hey, you have all the benefits of ZK rollups, plus you don't even have to rewrite it in another language. Uh, so I think that's why people... Oh, another one is that, that it's all open source, and some of the other people doing this, it's not all open source. So I, I think that probably uh, people like it for that fact as well. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's quite a big... Uh, it, it hasn't happened yet. It's just been formally announced, so it's not really news in a sense. But uh, right, what do you? Has ahead. Starknet? Sorry, does Starknet say anything about it? They were, they seem to be the only ones in the playground, and now someone else <laughs> might be. Well, joining I mean, them. they don't say it publicly because they're too polite. I, I spoke to them about it. I think the what they would say. I don't think they mind me saying is that uh, 
they are trying to build a car, not a faster horse. And by that, they're saying, hey, we have to change programming languages if we're going to do this properly. So yeah, I know it's all painful and you don't like it. And there's this new language, Cairo, you've got to learn. But that's the price of, you know, you have to go some pain in order to get the best possible results. Polygon are taking a different approach, which is to say, um, no, you can just use the same programming language. And of course, for a lot of people that are looking to make get something up and run more, running more quickly, then that's a uh, that's attractive. Hmm. Is this does this change the the trade offs? Then is that is is the triangle uh, decentralization versus security versus scalability? Right, I, I don't remember looking into this you know, a year ago when it was kicking off, and I was like, huh, you know, yeah, I don't think the compromise is ever going to be good between those. This is not going to work. And now, yeah. does this like? No, this unlocks it. No, you can actually have that scalability without compromising as much on the other two. Yeah, that's that's exactly the that's the reason why people are excited wow. is that you still have that security while being on a system that um, uh, is a lot faster to use. And and to give you some numbers, when we put our first game out, then when we did a transaction on Ethereum, uh, which is you do a transaction to play the game, then it cost the player twenty dollars in gas. When we did the same on Polygon Proof of Stake, uh, then that was like ten cents to do the transaction. So certainly there's a huge cost savings, much quicker. But the problem is, as Ronin found, is that it's not particularly secure and isn't really nobody feels it's a particularly good long term solution. So I think people are excited that at some level it solves that triangle problem you described him. One of the challenges with um, an EVM with the uh, Ethereum virtual machine is that it's not particularly fast, like computationally. Um, so like there are some games that are trying to do like fully on chain games and it's, um, you know, they, there's only so much that they can do because it's just not a, a fast system. Uh, does this change that? Like, is this mostly about transactions or would it actually allow like the smart contracts to run more efficiently? And that, that may be a distinction that I'm no, it is. That's about right. Blockchains are slow. You know, someone described it to me. You know, Ethereum is about the speed of an Apple II. Is a way of thinking about it, which is, you know, big step back. And this, this is faster. You know, the, um, but but still, I think you need to take a different approach, uh, both in terms of game design and uh, how you do our technology. We're having that problem, and we use a system called uh, called zk proofs for doing a lot of the computation on in the client in the game and then proving that it's correct and sending it to the blockchain to prove that what's been done locally is correct so i think that us and other games companies are saying okay blockchains are always going to be pretty slow even even if they're improved what can we do in the interim to solve that issue but i i don't know one of the things that i i'm, I'm in my bubble you know this is my day-to-day dealing with this kind of thing to you guys is this just a Oh, well, we have Google Cloud and we have Azure and we have AWS. I don't know. They're all systems. Who cares? Uh, is that, or is it different? I don't know. I think it depends how into the technical side you're, you're keen on and you're curious about. This is bringing me back a little bit to Node.js um, coming around where it wasn't as good to do server dev as, for example, something like Java, but people still used it because someone who knew JavaScript could then yep. be full stack. So it, it it seems a little bit like that, where um, ZK EVM for Polygon might not be as good as using something like Starknet, but because you can ex- you can utilize the same team to do more things, then the trade offs 
might make sense. So I'm curious about it from that perspective. Mm -hmm. Tim, you got any strong feelings about this? Well, yeah, because going to that that thing, right, looking back at that triangle and going, oh, yeah, this is kind of cool, but because of those compromises, I'm not sure you can really make anything that great with it. And then going back to last time I was on, Lars was talking about Dark Forest and like, oh, this is something legitimately cool. You couldn't do another way, but it can't scale. And so now it's like, okay, like maybe the ingredients are coming together. There is something interesting you sure you can't do another way. Now maybe you can scale. Ah, maybe we're unlocking something new there. Well, and, you know, also that's a great point because I think that blockchain has a load of roadblocks in front of it and it's unclear whether or not they're roadblocks you can never get round or will at some point get round. And as you said, there's a long time people say you can't do anything new with blockchain and then some things happen. And if some things happen then that, that are new and interesting, then there's probably more that are undiscovered. And then you say, you can say, ah, oh, but blockchain is so slow, it's never going to work. And then somebody and vast amounts of resources, money, people are being thrown at these problems. So, I mean, um, you know, maybe that's why we're getting there. But then, okay, this looks like it might be a solution to the problem that it's uh, this triangular problem where you have to sacrifice speed or security or something. And, and now it feels like, okay, well, we're actually getting over some of the things that we thought might have been blockers and presumably we'll be able to get over a few more. So maybe, in a sense, that's what's exciting to me, that things that seem to be hugely problematic are starting to be pushed away. I was just going to say that I feel in the Web3 gaming tests of David, I got a B minus and Tim got oh, a no, new plus plus. <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> you weren't being tested, Maria. <laughs> I saw your happiness in your eyes when Tim said that he was excited about it. <laughs> but, but I mean, yeah, Tim's right. That was a, a problem that seemed unfathomable, this idea you've got to make a compromise and, and maybe not. I would say there's a little footnote there. So there's some argument of the internet if it's 100% compatible with EVM. And I think some people feel that it bent the truth a little bit there, just full disclosure, I should say. But, but I mean, from my point of view, having currently building on Polygon Proof of Stake, I'm thrilled because it means that I can move my game server code to this fu- more future-proof technology without having to rewrite it. I mean, who knows? We'll, we'll do some performance tests. We, we also like Starknet a lot. So, so I don't know which way it will go, but it feels like we have some options now. Sorry, we need to move on to the last topic. So closing, closing statements. I was just going to ask a, a a quick question, which is like, do you think that there's sort of an equivalent of Moore's law that's going to apply here where it is going to just keep getting faster or are we going to hit a, like a ceiling pretty quickly? Just good question. There's nothing necessity. that I've ever seen in computers that hasn't adhered to Moore's law, isn't it? So I, I can't answer that in, intelligently other than saying I'd be surprised if it didn't. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What well, I, I was just going to say, it's, it's emblematic statements? of every, every future innovation. Like we're just talking about with Discord, right? The new thing comes in and people go, well, look, it's not as good as this thing that we used to have in this way or this way, and it'll never solve this problem. Lying to the fact that, oh, it's better at this other thing. And maybe that isn't a problem. And maybe this problem can be solved. So, yeah, you've always got to remember mm-hmm. anytime there's something new, defaulting to, oh, the old way is better because it's actually because you know it more and you don't know what can't and can be solved yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and sometimes the audience will choose for you because if everyone's on Discord, yeah. you yeah, have to be true. on Discord. I don't know how this applies to blockchain, but we'll we'll see. Hopefully the audience will will grow over time. Okay, last topic. 
the UK government loot boxes self-regulation. <laughs> Drop the little peppers of spiciness. Okay, so a couple of weeks ago, the UK government, they were doing um, an investigation and they told the games industry that they have to take action on loot, on loot boxes or they're going to risk future le legislation. But for now, they're allowing self-regulation. So in particular, it says that children and young people should not be able to purchase loot boxes without parental consent. And I believe that was sort of already um, a rule based on the age-appropriate design code that the UK government is, is well has already implemented. And they had some recommendations um, that the industry could follow. For example, letting players know that loot boxes uh, do not guarantee success. Um, trying to present the real, you know, the fiat value of the hard currency or soft currency that they're using so that people can not get lost in a distortion of um, how how expensive it is. Having an inclusion of messages when players have exceeded a certain number of purchases and then advises them to pause spending. Um, I see this a little bit like how MMORPGs usually have a message where if you're playing for a certain amount of hours, they tell you, you should take a break. Um, but doing this in terms of monetization. So I'll, I'll open the floor. Is this mostly about kids and loot boxes or is it about loot boxes more generally? In general, they were investigating claims that loot boxes are gambling and gambling is proven to have a negative effect on humans. And so they wanted to understand whether loot boxes having being similar to gambling also causes harmful effect on, on human beings. And I read, I skimmed through the full document that they wrote and they did surveys. They seemed quite in-depth surveys, but it was limited, the number of games that were being surveyed. So it doesn't span a very wide breadth of the industry, but they seem to reach the conclusion of for now, it's okay to self-regulate. And I assume part of this is that as soon as you decide to regulate something, the government is also going to have costs in trying to enforce the regulation. And so I can see also why there's a motivation from the governments to first try to incentivate self-regulation before going all in and having to do it for the industry. Well, I'll start by, if it's about uh, I'll start then. If it's about kids, the bit that I never understand about mobile phone game misuse, spending, and kids is doesn't that fall under the parental controls of the phone? Not uh, not sort of passing it on, but my kids uh, have phones and they play games, but they they can't buy things, and that's how it's set up by default. So, a really easy way, I would imagine, for people to stop kids spending on anything in game is just to not allow that for the parents to tick that box. And I'm not trying to be offhand about it or saying that the games industry shouldn't be think about that carefully, but I don't, I don't understand why that isn't the first port of, uh, uh I do think the platforms could do that a lot better, right? Okay. Cause I think if you look at surveys, like how many parents use these systems to control their children? Hardly any, how many even know they oh, exist? Right. Hardly any. So I, yeah, I think the platforms, it's not us. It's, we, we can't do it one game at a time. It's not the answer. The, the platforms could improve the surfacing and functionality of these features. That, that is reasonable. Yeah. yeah, they analyzed the parental controls and they did find that it, it wasn't, how do you call it, a healthy percentage 
of parents that were aware that they could control their, oh, their children's spending. Um, but again, it's not only based on the children. It's also based on adults. So for example, digital banks now have the ability for you to select to not allow um, transactions that are gambling related. So even if you have, if you, even if, because self-control isn't something that we can do every single moment of the day. So having technology also protect you when you're going through a moment where your self-control is more limited. I think that is indeed something like Tim was saying that maybe platforms could do better. Um, I I do agree that some kind of self-regulation in the industry as, as a consumer and someone who works in free to play just sounds like a healthy thing to do, you know, try to inform your players about the decisions that they're making. What do you think, Anthony? Um, Yeah. So uh, I, I, I do agree that the platforms, like there, there is an education problem of parents um, and uh, you know, new tech is always going to have that to some extent. I, I know I got away with a lot of stuff on the computer as a kid because my parents didn't know how to stop things from happening. So like, you know, the, the kids are going to know things that the parents don't. And if the platforms aren't educating on that, th- there is only so much that can be done. And I, I think very few people are going to argue with the, no, we want, eight-year-olds to be spending as much as they want. Like that's no, no one in the industry is going to defend that. Um, and, uh, and when I was at congregate, we, we had in-app purchases and, uh, anytime a parent called in and said, Hey, my kid spent all this, we would just refund everything. Um, and, uh, and usually ban the account just so that people don't you know, use that as a way around things. But, um, which was one of the things that they also, the UK government recommended was having generous refund policies. Um, so, uh, yeah, there, there is that side of things, um, of, uh, the, the, the kids and, you know, please let's think of the children. Um, but the, the other side of the gambling side, um, you know, I, I, I do think that there is enough, even though you can't cash out, which is one of the, the defenses that people will use. Um, you know, there is a lot of personal value that people get out of games. Like that's why they're willing to spend money in the first place is because this is their hobby. This is what they enjoy doing. And, you know, they get this entertainment value out of buying things. And so the, the ability to spend money and not know what you're getting out of it, uh, you know, it does have some, some parallels, I think. Um, and so the, there's been some regulation by uh, the Google and Apple, like requiring um, odds to be shown of the, uh, uh, of loot boxes. Um, I know it was a 15, 20 years ago, I think, um, oh, maybe 10, 15 years ago that uh, Japan outlawed compu gotcha, which was mm-hmm. a form of gotcha, but it was so hard to, like people just couldn't understand the odds. It was, it was such an obscure thing that there was no real way to a player understood how hard it was for it to happen. And so um, people weren't able to make educated decisions, but you know, in the same way, David, that you are shocked that player parents don't use the controls. I don't understand why anyone would ever buy a loot box without seeing the odds. Like why, if, if you don't know what's going to get out of it, like even your chances of getting out with it, why would you buy it? Like to me, like in my, my math brain, like that's just inconceivable because what are you getting? But you know, that's been the standard and people have done that for years. So uh. we have in the UK, we, in our slot machines, fruit machines, what they call it in America, I forget. Anyway, they have a payout rate, which is mandated by law, but in very small print and it's there. I'd be surprised if that has any effect at all. So I, I, I guess before sort of jumping to conclusions about what we should put in our game in terms of payout rates, it could just be futile which isn't to say we should just wash our hands of it. But if we're going to put something in, like if that payout rate has no bearing on people's, how much people spend, 
then it's just not the best use of our time and we should probably find another approach. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I suppose I think, like warnings on cigarettes are kind of a good right, example yeah. of that. Like how many people really decide not to because there's a yeah, warning right. on it? Like they've, I, they've already decided. <laughs> well, but it, someone who has not done it before, for example, mm. smoking could be really put off. Like I, I've never smoked and I'll never smoke even more after seeing the horrible pictures on these on these packs. It, it creates little moments. I remember seeing somebody getting out the cigarette packet and there was a kid there and they looked at the packet and they're like, why are you doing that? It says it kills. <laughs> just I like those little moments go, huh, yeah. okay. I think I think it's responsible. If you're as a as a consumer, I like to know what I'm purchasing. And with some purchases I make, I do a lot more investigation and I try to understand it further. For example, food versus if I'm, I don't know, buying a plushie, who knows? Um and I think companies and products have the responsibility to inform their consumers of what they're buying. And so things like showing the odds in loot boxes, yeah, we should definitely do that. I don't understand why more games don't don't do it. For me, the ethical, like what were we discussing in the misleading ads, for me, the difficulty of games self-regulating is that there's a pressure on the company to decide how much of the ethical line are we going to walk? Because I don't think there's going to be many companies out there jumping the gun to say, we're going to be the first to tell players to stop spending because they're spending too much. Uh, there's also, it's pretty old now, I think, but True. a case study on that. Uh, I think it was King. Uh, they tried out this uh, putting a message in front of players who'd spent a certain threshold to say, hey, you know, are you sure? Are you okay? Maybe we can help you. Or maybe it's a bad idea. And the response was massively negative. These players were like, what are you doing? Get out of my business. This is my money. I know what I'm doing. I can't believe you'd even think you should put this in front of me and, and i can see it like because where is that threshold that's that is really hard right there are players for whom a hundred dollars is a really silly thing they should not be spending a hundred dollars and there are other players for whom that's nothing they'll do it it's fine they should not be spending fifteen thousand dollars or something so it, people are so different that's really hard and we can't we can't know about it either so i do i i, I like the idea of it the the idea of the, of the game saying, hey, you know, this is a bit crazy, maybe take a step back, like the spending too much time mm -hmm. in an MMO. But where you draw that line is really, really hard. Yeah, in an, in a, in a, sorry, in an MMO, it just appears as a little line in the chat. So it's not very disruptive, like a massive pop-up just yeah. saying stop. And it's more uniform, right? Like 14 right, hours is a long time to be playing for everyone. It, like, definitely. That's, <laughs> maybe you should think about that, whereas the money thing is a lot crazier. Yeah, I mean, I think I mean, you're absolutely right. Like $100 is very, very different to different people. Um, and, you know, maybe the message is not, you know, hey, this is crazy. Um, but, you know, I, I can't think of a single game where I can look and see how much money I've spent total. Like there's no sense. I mean, that's part of the reason that virtual currencies are used. Not the only reason, but like it does sort of abstract out how much you're spending. Um, and so... You know, whereas I can look at a store or something, I can see, I mean, it's not really easy to find on Amazon, but you can get a sense of how much you've spent. Um, so I think at least like just having that awareness, because it's the, to me, the, one of the risks is it's sort of just sneaking up on you. Like if you're spending $10 every couple of days, like that could become a hundred dollars or a thousand dollars in a couple of months. Um, and you're just not aware of it. So, you know, I think some 
surfacing of how much you've spent. And if you're fine spending that much, then great. Um, it's just, you know, awareness. But um, I, I think also like a few, okay. I, I really like the idea of that one because it could be, it could even not be that detrimental to the game. Maybe I'm wildly optimistic, but you, I can imagine a few positive effects. Like a player's like, oh, I bought the $10 pack 10 times in the last two weeks. Probably I should have bought the $100 <laughs> pack because it's better value. Or a player might say, I pay $30 in this game every month and I've been playing it for years. Wow, I didn't realize I valued it that much. And then like, oh, a month's gone past and I haven't spent $30. Maybe I should then because I usually do. I, I don't know if that's good <laughs> or bad, but uh, being more informed yeah. about it, like that does sound fair. I like that idea. The platforms could do it. All the games could do it as well, right? Like, yeah, it's less, it's less about enforcing player behavior via the game itself through its its features and its design and more trying to like not preventing players from knowing the full breadth of information of their actions so if you want to you do have that information available to you and i think uh, i think league of legends does this i remember a friend saying that him and his group of players well friends who played together they all went to see how much they've spent in league of legends and were very surprised to find out <laughs> what that total was like yeah but we broadened but, this out a bit i mean the piece was about loop uh loot boxes specifically rather than yeah. worrying about people spending too much money i think um i i don't know how much attention people will pay to uh payout rates for the reason you said you to you anthony like why wouldn't you look at that because that's almost part of the gameplay figuring out how what the chance of you getting that is uh i guess it's it's not often straightforward to implement that when we looked at that in the past uh, loot boxes you know i'm not doing this now but loot boxes were uh, the the payout rate was influenced by who you were and where you are in the game so that wasn't just a fixed number that was something that part of segmentation and changed according to what you were doing at least that was the design i don't know if we ever implemented that but uh, it's not just as straightforward as writing the number i wouldn't think mm-hmm and that's where like regulations around like gambling would apply as well. Like, and at least in the U S like your every individual, um, they, they have to be independent events. So like, if you're having a losing streak, they can't give you a win because that sort of mm-hmm. influences it. Um, I do have a general question. Like we've talked a few times about self-regulating and the UK government said like, you know, you, you guys as an industry need to do this or we're going to step in. Like, how, how does that work? Like what, you know, is there an industry body that gets that we all agree has the ability to enforce things? And I mean, we're talking worldwide. So, I mean, which, who, who does that? How does, is that even possible? Well, I, I mean, well, not enforcement, but we've yeah. got Yuki and Tiger, or Tiger, do they say, who could draw something up that you could say, okay, we think we should adhere to this. And people could say, yes, we're adhering to their thing. Yeah, there's trade bodies in the UK and elsewhere right, that, that, uh, Mm. IGDA, I suppose, is the best-known international one that ought to be able to put a set of guidelines ahead and, you know, maybe the bigger players decide what seems fair and then hope that everybody adopts it. I've got something similar in Web3 where there isn't a lot of legislation around Web3 crypto uh, in games just yet, and it will come. I welcome it. You know, I think some bad things going on in the world of blockchain games that uh, should be policed. And and But, of course, you know, when you speak to... The government, the, the idea of blockchain is new. The idea of blockchain and games is even newer. So it's really up to the people making it to try and get ahead of the law so that they can suggest something sensible that, that you then hope gets adopted by 
as law later. That feels like a less precarious way of doing things rather than hoping that law, the law chooses something that doesn't just you know, destroy your business. And this happened a lot when I was working in fisheries, because if you allow a government to make the decisions for you, it's probable that they don't understand the industry in and out as if they're a business owner. And so if you can self-regulate and understand what is the best best way to self-regulate and to, to achieve the goals at the in the long run that will probably be a better solution for your business rather than having to follow yeah legislation that's set by people don't encounter these these problems every day and the full cascade we'll have to wrap up the episode here unless someone has a another closing statement this is my thing today <laughs> i'm done all right. Well, thank you so much for joining. That was really good. And if you have anything to add to all of these topics, you can find us in the Navic Discord. Um, if you're curious about loot boxes, uh, Navic Pro, they did a deconstruction on the the infamous Diablo Immortal. That would be a good one to read about probability <laughs> and drop rates. Um, yeah, thank you so much for joining. And I'll see you again next week. Thanks, Bye, Maria. Everyone. See you guys. Peace.